Hello, it's me. I'm back. Apologies for the delay. All will be explained. Welcome back to episode 57, which we're going to entitle, well, it's part of the season, Palaces of Pride. So Palaces of Pride Part 2, featuring and focusing on the Castro in San Francisco. Anyway, so that's fun. But episode 57, so yes, thank you. Welcome back. Um, And thank you for your patience. Uh, Please do keep listening and subscribing and uh, telling people about the podcast. And also, again, I have to thank my listeners who are listening in places, in corners of the world, where it's not necessarily so easy to listen to a LGBTQ plus themed podcast. So thank you. Um, Stay safe. Stay happy. Um. Thank you for the lovely feedback on episode 56 with Azifa Lahore. Um, I'm possibly hoping to have Azifa back at some point, as I mentioned, uh, down the line, uh, perhaps in a round table with a few of the other previous guests, which I've never done before. Um, We've had multi-guests in one episode, but never in the room at the same time. Um, The most we've had is myself and two other people. Uh, with Greg and Stephen a few episodes back last year. Um, so yes, so look forward to perhaps having Azifa in again and thank you for all the lovely feedback and people really did enjoy and appreciate that. So thank you. Um, now, I know it seems like there's always an excuse, but the delay on this podcast, this particular episode, was due to it supposedly being another episode um, which encountered a major, major technical error. Um, thank you, Apple. <laughs> um, see, as I've probably explained before, um, quite often now, um, when I'm doing remote recordings, i.e. I'm not in my home studio with somebody visiting me, um, I've been going out to other people and recording on, uh, on my iPhone, uh, with, uh, very special mic that I've bought which I attach to the iPhone um, and anyway it's not been a problem so far um, and I've done a fair few remote recordings on the phone and sadly I did one um, a couple of weeks ago and uh, it was due to come out last week and well essentially it's deleted itself um <laughs> um as i say it's not been a problem for a long time before um and i went to edit my chat with um well you'll you'll get to to meet him uh very soon hopefully uh, mr mark healy uh from the charity 20 uh, 17 24 30 which relates to the uh week uh 20 years ago when um on the 17th, 24th and 30th of March there were um, hate crime attacks by one individual across London on the black, Asian and gay communities and the gay community, uh, the attack there was the Soho nail bombing which uh, a lot of my listeners over a certain age will definitely remember and know about and those who don't you may have heard of and we're certainly going to talk about it, and I'm going to have Mark back. However, I went to edit it, um, and uh, say it's a it's a 
one that I really want to, to put out last week because it was the anniversary. And sadly, it was gone. Um, it had been corrupted, apparently, according to the Apple Store. Um, so I'm going to have to go back and do the interview again. So um, anyway, after spending lots of time in the Apple Store, they basically told me that it wasn't retrievable and I tried everything to retrieve it and it just wouldn't happen. So it's just one of those things. So unfortunately, with time and being busy and then a corrupted file, um, you didn't get the podcast, long story short. But that one will be coming. Um, I'm going to go back um, and talk to Mark. He's a very busy man, so we're just trying to get that scheduled as soon as possible um, and talk in more depth uh, on some well, some really interesting and, and well, really very important subjects um, around the hate crime. Anyway, that's to come. So this week we continue with the Palaces of Pride series. And I'm focusing on San Francisco, San Francisco and specifically um, the palaces of pride that are set in and around the Castro, which is an area of San Francisco I know very well. Um, a place I know well and where I've had some of the most fun and most emotional, most brilliant and inspiring nights and, and days kind of in my life. Um, I always say to people, if uh, especially to people from the community, if you haven't been, go. It's a place that I always feel extremely comfortable in, and um, and that the pride is probably the, one of the most visible places I've ever seen. I, I, there's lots of places I haven't been to, but it's it's extremely out and proud, and I love it. Anyway, we'll talk about it. Um. But before all of that, let's just touch on my recommendations. Now, this week, um, again, this might be preaching to the converted, but if you haven't heard it, then you should. Um, by Verst. It's called Hit Me. And Verst is essentially was known as Conchita Verst or Worst, depending how you like to pronounce it. Um and uh, so coming back as Versed, the new single, Hit Me, is just an incredible, and I'd say a pride anthem for now. Whether it's intended to be or not, I'm not quite sure. But it works for me in that in that manner. Um, go and discover it. It's very different to anything that um, they've done before. So I would highly, highly recommend. There's a new image. Um, they have white hair and a white beard, a lot less makeup. Um, check the video out too. It's a, it's a very powerful, powerful and uh, beautiful piece. And um, strong electronic music is the only way I can describe it. So go and discover that. Um, and then album. This is one that's a little bit of an off-the-wall choice is... Um, by a band called Mercury Rev who I've known of for years and I've never been a massive fan I've never hated anything of theirs but they've basically they've done um, an album it's called Bobby Gentry's The Delta Suite Revisited and Bobby Gentry is um, a singer-songwriter from well the height of her popularity was in the 60s um, and she had a, a kind of country vibe to her um, but also 
extremely well mastered and crafted um, slightly alternative pop I suppose you'd say but see she had an album that came out in 1968 called the Delta, Delta Suite but Mercury Rev have have revisited it and it's literally called Bobby Gentry's The Delta Suite Revisited obvious um, and there are some uh, amazing it, it's basically uh, with female guest singers they're the band and uh, it's a different singer for each track um, Hope Sandoval Rachel Goswell Margot Price Nora Jones Beth Orton Lucinda Williams um, and the song that you may know and if you don't you should go and discover the original as, as well uh, on this album it's covered by Lucinda Williams is Ode to Billy Joe which I think is one of the best songs ever written and as soon as I say it, it starts ringing in my head um, and if I was feeling musical I'd sing it down the line to you but I'm not going to but go and discover that so yeah um, and discover the original by Bobby Gentry but yes, I recommend that one. And I say it's slightly off the wall for me. It's not the normal choice I would make. But um, I'm particularly in love with that album at the moment. Anyway, and then finally, there's a podcast. The podcast is called The Big One, Your Survival Guide. And it's on iTunes. Um, it's nine episodes so far. And it's basically the build-up to and post the next big one. The big one being... <laughs> <laughs> don't don't go there the big one being the san andreas fault um and the earthquake the next big earthquake in california um it's about san andreas fault line and it's connecting fault lines with san uh, gregorio haywood uh, rogers creek fault lines um they're all running through throughout california um and it's kind of um a fictional and well what could really happen in real time uh, take on situations and how people deal with it and what uh, what lessons haven't been learned and what could be learnt um, and each episode is a is a take on um, so there's what one episode the first one is 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 it happening um, and and what happens around um, basically at this point uh, they're in Los Angeles um, and somebody's commuting into downtown in the train station and they're in the train station when it happens um so there is a performative level to it but it, a lot of it's say it's based on a lot of um quite depthy research um i think it's fascinating um and basically they're saying that at some point in the next in the next 30 years that the big one is going to happen it could happen any time now but it's well overdue um and i've known this um having uh, friends and family in california um and it occasionally gets talked about um and people know it's going to happen but there is a concern that people haven't prepared um and it has advice for anyone living in california and especially people kind of in and around the fault lines um and how they need to prepare i suppose um the reality is you know is somewhat scary and the might of the big one is so so potentially devastating um and i did i really didn't know how devastating it it would be it will be um i'm fascinated also by the science of earthquake phenomena and um 
I mean, you know, I spend a lot of time, haven't done for a while, but we have spent a lot of time in California um, as my husband is Californian and that's where I met him. I have a big love in my heart for California um, uh, with all its um, ups and downs, faults and bits I love about it, faults in every way. Um, but yes, I think it's useful to know. Um, and I have, just to say, I have friends and family across California and kind of, if you're listening to this, I encourage you to have a listen. Um, it's fascinating. Anyway, um, it's not all doom and gloom. Um, and there are some positives and there are, they do give advice on how to survive. But, um, talking of California, as I say, this week, my, my palaces of pride is in my, what I sometimes feel like, even though I haven't been there for a little while, feels like um, a bit of a second home really because I know it so well and I have such a fondness for it is San Francisco and the Castro um, I could go on forever about everything else in San Francisco the first time I saw the Golden Gate Bridge and I cried <laughs> just because I was overwhelmed by this image that had been emblazoned in my brain since a child and cinema and TV there's a lot of things I could talk about San Francisco but I'm going to talk about gay culture and specifically uh, in and around the Castro area and the Palace of Pride and the buildings that have been part of my Castro and enjoy Palaces of Pride. San Francisco, open your golden gate, you let nobody wait outside your door. San Francisco, here is your wondering one saying I wonder no more. Other places only make me love you best. Tell me you're the one in all the golden west. San Francisco, I'm coming home again. And as Judy said, once you have had the Golden Gates open to you, you never want to roam again. A place with a big, big, big chunk of my heart still there. And I hope to, at some point, spend a few years of my life there. That's the plan. Anyway, talk to my husband further. The population um, of San Francisco is roughly around the 860,000 mark currently um, and estimations are that of that there's 6.2 percent of um, LGBTQIA people uh, currently living in the city and um, that's the highest in the US um, and that's not a massive population compared to well compared to London and there's whatever nine million of us um, it's uh, it's small and it's perfectly formed, shall we say? Um, there are problems with the city, and we won't. I, I'm not here to really talk too much about that because obviously there has been there's a a massive problem with um, homelessness. I mean, there has there has been for many decades, but at the moment it feels more prominent because there is the haves and the have-nots have kind of are rubbing shoulders next to, next to each other, especially areas like the Mission. Uh, which is not far from Castro, which is, uh, has some amazing properties and people who are working in Silicon Valley um, and the tech boom in San Francisco. And 
uh, prices have gone up. Um, San Francisco is quite an expensive place to be. But I don't want to go into the negatives of that too much. That's kind of another slightly more political podcast. And uh, if we have a guest from San Francisco at any point, maybe we'll go there then. There truly is not a gayer place in my experience that you could go to. Um, I remember the first time I was in San Francisco airport and slightly jet lagged and I'd never been there before. I'd never even been to the US, in fact. And uh, as well as the culture shock of the US and the sights, sounds and smells, there was also the fact that there were lots of people showing affection, gay people showing affection to each other in and around the airport. Um, something I wouldn't have seen necessarily in Heathrow. Maybe you would now, but this was 99 when I first went there. Um, and uh, literally the moment I stepped out into the city, I felt that there were, <laughs> even though I've just given you that percentage, it felt like everybody was gay or LGBTQ. Um, and it made me so happy. Um, and it still does. Um, obviously, you spend times in pockets of a city, you're going to feel like everybody's gay, because if you go to the Castro, a lot of people are. Um, it has so much history. We're going to talk about Harvey Milk um, and all his connections with the area. But um, just to go back a bit, just to give a bit of a bit of background, I mean, San Francisco kind of was, uh, <laughs> it was a tiny tiny settlement um, and uh, just looking at facts and figures in 1846 um, apparently it was a small settlement of no more than about 200 people which just seems insane um, that was 1846 then the gold rush happened and that's where San Francisco really started to boom and grow and between 1846 and 1852, by the year of 1852, it went from 200 people to 36,000 people. That jump, that's brought on by the gold rush. And of course, with the gold rush, people came from all, I mean, all, all over the world, uh, from obviously people from other parts of the US um, and different religions and types of human coming in then but also people from China and Latin America um, Europe uh, Australia um, and it kind of at that point was already setting itself up by accident as a place of acceptance and multi multiculturalism because it had to be because of the nature of the people that were coming because of the gold rush um, I could do a whole podcast on the gold rush because it's quite fascinating, um, but we're not going to do that. But um, I'm sure you've done a little bit in your history, especially if you're in the US, on that whole period of time. But um, for uh, English listeners, maybe I'll do a podcast just for us at some point. Anywho, um, as I say, yeah, it really set itself up at that point as a city of multi multiculturalism, if I can say the word, let alone be the word. Um, and at one point I was reading something yesterday that... Um, described it uh, at the point it was uh, the kind of tail end of the gold rush it was always described as a city of bachelors um, 
due to its uh, well it's it's high high numbers of men as opposed to women um so it really at that point really became one of the early gay meccas for gay men at the beginning gay men and then as I say it's grown to the rest of the community um world war 2 really really stepped things up massively and i'm laughing i'm laughing because of the war i'm laughing because of um, the facts and figures around that one are basically because it was i mean there were soldiers coming in um at the one point there was estimated to be over the over the period of world war 2 that um one and a half million soldiers came in and out of san francisco um and some of them came and never left um apparently you know you say there's always 10 percent, and that 10 percent of that one and a half million definitely stayed on um because they found a place to be um so again this led to uh to be quite a high number of incoming men um and women in the forces as well but um a place where where people felt safe for the first time um now the castro itself uh, begins the area the castro castro district begins at um it's a a cross section uh, between castro street and 18th street and it's very close a street away from the um the main road one of the big main roads through the city called market street for anyone who's visited even if you've only visited as a tourist and not as a as a lgbtqia tourist you would have encountered market street um as it runs from i believe from embarcadero which is by the by the water all the way up through the city um castro until the until the early 60s was called that area was called uh, Eureka Valley um, and essentially it was a, a working class Irish district or at the very least it was people of Irish descent who were settling there um, um, and then over the next decade it it, it changed with um, a lot of by the sounds of it lots of families moved in to the area as well because it was considered a, a comfortable and and safe area um and also at the same time the gay community started to realize that it was a bit of a haven and that's really where it began so it was kind of it was the the the, the mid to early to mid 60s where things began to change in castro I do have to mention as well that, of course, um, in the 50s, um, I, this was a big admittance by me, uh, in the 50s, um, the area that was kind of growing as a cosmopolitan and an area the beatniks settled in um, was North Beach. Um, and I, <laughs> again, it's an area of San Francisco that I have a a massive fondness for some people say it's become a little bit tacky and obvious um and that they're pushing the beatnik thing down your neck a little bit too much and that you can buy t-shirts with the faces of the beatnik poets on i still quite like that but um 
it's a it's a fascinating area but anyway north beach was where um the black cat cafe was uh on montgomery street um and that was uh, a place that the beat poets themselves visited um Allen Ginsberg, who wrote Howl. These are ones for you to check out if you haven't ever had a look at the beat literature. Um, Jack Kerouac, very famous book, On the Road, um, about his travels um, and uh, getting high and travelling, and was essential reading when I was a student. Um, was very much something that you had to read. Whether it is still or not, I don't know. But anyway, investigate. Um, and then William S. Burroughs, who uh, wrote Naked Lunch, which was famous, famously turned into a film in the 80s, I would say. So you can check that out. But um, that would give you a sense, if you don't feel like sitting down and reading, it would give you a good sense of uh, of what these people were and what they were about. Um, but as I say, they were all based in, in North Beach. Um, there's a bookstore there called City Lights Bookstore. I'm doing a bit of a tourist guide here as well at the same time, like I did with the um, Stonewall in New York. But um, that area, there's a corner. If you go to, it's easy to find City Lights Bookstore. Um, it's on tourist maps. But on that corner, opposite the City Lights Bookstore, which is a fascinating bookstore um, and just smells wonderful and the people inside are wonderful. Um, I even named my first theatre company uh, myself and Anthony named our first theatre company after City Lights Bookstore. So there you go, we loved it that much. Um, across the road, there is a place called Tosca Cafe, which still has a real sort of more, in my mind, genuine beatnik vibe to it. And it's probably one of my favourite places to get a beer in the city. Uh, and I've been there a few times over the years with various different friends from San Francisco and from outside and a place where you can people will really sit down and talk to you um, especially uh, if you have a London accent which apparently I do when I'm there um, also there's oh yeah there's a cafe around the corner called the Stinking Rose sorry we're going to get back to the Castro in a second but the Stinking Rose again probably considered by um, a San Franciscan to be a tourist trap but however it's the only restaurant where everything Everything is flavoured with garlic, even down to the ice cream. And if you love garlic, it's a place to... It's, oh, my goodness, you have to go there. I'm a big fan of garlic. Um, and I can... Even though I'm a massive fan of garlic, there was a point when I, I'd, I'd, I'd had a little bit too much garlic in there. But it's definitely one to try. Anyway, this is North Beach. And this is where... Um, the beatniks and uh, the gay community were sort of mixing um, the two worlds coming colliding. Um, and um, there was also the Tenderloin, which still remains to this day, um, slightly less so than it, it did it even when I first started visiting, but um, uh, an area for um, slightly more alternative gay clubs and bars. I mean, it wasn't then, but I'd say it was... Um, it's a it's a funny part of the city and it's not a part that I particularly feel comfortable in, but I think there's a lot of variety and a lot of fun stuff down there. It's just um it's not a place I would still walk through at night. It's a little bit uh, a little bit hairy. Um but anyway, so these were the areas where the gay community were were kind of finding their feet. But however, back 
to Eureka Valley. Yes, um, the City Lights bookstore, which again I recommend you do go to, but to say that was kind of uh, a, a turning point. Um, and there were people opposed and um, tried to get bars closed, anything that would attract homosexuality. But um, the state of California, bless their hearts, uh, the uh, and the local government overruled that and said there would be no persecution of bars that may have suggestion of homosexuality in them, which is a wonderful thing. Gotta love California. Um, also, um, in the 50s, uh, the Mattachine Society, who I've talked about before, um, I did that play, The Temperamentals, which had been um, on Broadway, uh, or just off-Broadway, and then uh, we did uh, in various places uh, around the UK and Ireland um, about a gay civil rights group and uh, who preceded uh, Stonewall. Um, the play, by the way, is written by John Marins, and who I hope to get on and chat about the play at some point. Um, but anyway, they moved from Silver Lake in Los Angeles to San Francisco. This led to the US's first gay publication, first gay magazine being published called The Advocate that went on to be uh, very influential over the years. Um, essentially, the things changed. So we talked about World War II. Um, and, uh, and so people who'd moved there were getting a bit older and still looking for somewhere to settle a bit more permanently. Um, the the kind of white middle class people who moved in uh, in the Eureka Valley area after the Irish people started to to move out partly because it sounds like as though um, the um, the hippies as they would have been called uh, moved started moving in and uh, there were nice areas on the edge of the city that would be more suited for family life so people started moving out of that area therefore um, a lot of property went begging um, and the gay community uh, jumped on that and the first gay bar in the area was in uh, 63 1963 and it was called the Missouri Mule Missouri Mule Missouri Mule um, and uh, that was kind of the the first one to open up in the Castro um, it really kind of started to find its stride in the late 60s um, because the neighbourhood next door is called Haight-Ashbury and for anybody who's a lover of music and music history Haight-Ashbury has a lot there um, Janis Joplin lived there uh, the Grateful Dead lived there and I believe they lived in the same house at some point um, uh, Jim Morrison spent time there Jimi Hendrix spent time there anybody who was anybody in 60s kind of rock was uh, spent time or lived um, in Haight-Ashbury um, it still has a lot there again probably slightly tourist led for tourists now but um, I definitely would recommend going there there are there, and there are still people who are 
I suppose you could say, um, or some people would say, I know San Franciscans have said the refugees of the 60s, people who uh, who the party kept going and the party went on a little bit too long. So, of course, you're talking a summer of love, and that was, are you going to San Francisco with flowers in your hair? Um, but, yes, so lots of uh, middle-class um, late teenagers moved to that area and so then there was this kind of cross over of um the 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 hippies um and and the gay community and there were points that the the, um, the slightly more drug addled members of the hate ashbury community uh would initially clash with some of the gay community but the genuine the genuine i suppose you'd say the genuine hippies the people who were there for peace and love uh were happy to um to have the crossover but however at that point it did mean that the gay community started to uh kind of make more of a, a definitive area for themselves so castro started to become um a major a major point for them and found safety in the area and uh, their numbers our numbers should I say started to grow um, there is so much rich history and um, <laughs> I have so much to get through um, I think this might end up being in, in two parts at some point I think I may have to come back and revisit this um, the um, the reason, oh yes, there's something I haven't explained. The the Castro was named after Jose Castro, who was um, a Californian leader of of Mexican opposition to U.S. rule in California in the 19th century, um, and uh, the area was started to be developed, physically developed, um, with houses and shops, um, due to the Market Street Railway Company who were putting money into the area because railways were go growing. Um, we work, I'm not going to talk about the earthquake because I mentioned earthquakes earlier in my recommendations and the earthquake didn't, um, it doesn't really affect the gay community as such at this point. So I'm not going to touch on it, but um, obviously it affected the whole city. And there was a big one in 1906, uh, which destroyed a lot of the city. Um, so, uh, but this is, uh, yeah, th th that's a, again, that's another podcast. So as we go from the late sixties and into the early seventies, um, it was ever growing. I mean, I want to talk about some of the places that I've been to as we go on, but I just want to give you the kind of, as much of a, a background as possible. Um, 1973, Harvey Milk. Now there's a film, if you haven't seen uh, Dustin Lance Black uh, directed and produced, I believe, um, about Harvey Milk, um, who's probably one of the most famous residents of the Castro uh, ever. And um, yes, I would, I would definitely go and look at that. Sean Penn plays him. It's a wonderful film. Um, but Harvey Milk um, was um, a gay activist, and he, he basically he owned a camera store on Castro called Castro Camera um, and the last time I was there you could still go and uh, visit the store um, 
and was being kept as uh, as part of gay history. Um, I need to check on that actually, but um, uh, you can certainly go to the. It was used in the film. The actual store was used in the film anyway. Um, so yeah, Harvey Milk was uh, extremely political, and um, he started to uh, to try and um, encourage people in the area to to stand up for their legal rights and uh, and that maybe they'd want to as well as having Castro as their base they might want to to take their homosexuality out into the other streets of San Francisco indeed out into the rest of the world so yes just to give you a bit more of um, a bit more of a, a background on Harvey Milk um, he was uh, the first openly gay uh, elected official into to um, into the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, um, and he was probably the most pro LGBTQ politician in the states then, and uh, and pro- probably still up to this day. Um, he didn't kind of uh, well he didn't really admit to himself about his own sexuality until later in his life until well later it wasn't really later because 40's young (laughs) Um, until he was after 40 um, and then he really immersed himself in the San Francisco gay scene Um, he uh, was very he was known for for being outspoken and um, and uh, standing on street corners and speaking his mind. Um, and it was in um, 1977 when he got a seat on the board of supervisors, um, and he served in there for well, he served for eleven months. Um, but then in 1978. 27th of November, November 1978 um, sadly Harvey Milk and the mayor then uh, George Moscone were assassinated by another city supervisor called Dan White um, White had um, stopped being on the board um, uh, had resigned in fact but was uh, s- slightly confused and there is thought that perhaps he was closeted, um, but anyway, angry, angry that this was happening, and angry that Milk was there, and that Moscone had allowed it to happen. Uh, and um, yeah, he was he killed them and was sentenced to seven years for manslaughter. Um, and then eventually he killed himself. Um, in the, after he'd been released, so he wasn't a, a, a happy man. Um, but Harvey's Harvey Milk's influence on the area um, is still there to this day. There's the Harvey Milk Plaza, um, which is part of the street um, and leads you into the um, to the station. Um, it's it's something that I definitely think if you've not looked into and you've not say if you've not watched the film, he's such an important part of LGBT history in the US um, it's uh, it's 
I'd say it's super important. I mean, I have lots of heroes from San Francisco uh, alongside Harvey Milk. Um, there is Armistead Morpin, who I will talk about shortly. But um, there's um, the Harvey Milk School, uh, which is a school that um, is for gay youth, which is just off the Castro. Um, Harvey Milk posthumously got the award for um, Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2009. So he's been recognised um, after his death. Yeah, to talk a little bit about the um, the backlash that happened when, I mean, Dan White uh, was, uh, as I say, he was convicted but found guilty of voluntary manslaughter. Um, and then uh, his time being sentenced, his, t- his sentence being uh, reduced for good behaviour and he was released in five years. Um, but the fact that it was considered voluntary manslaughter was uh, a point of, obviously, a bone of contention, point of contention with the gay community. Um, and uh, there was uh, one night that happened, uh, they called the White Night Riots, um, because the, um, the the acting mayor and the supervisors who came in after um, Milk and Moscone were killed uh, were were extremely unhappy with the deci- decision themselves so if they were unhappy obviously the community um, the gay community were extremely angry and they marched to City Hall which is in the centre of the city um, and uh, through rocks and bricks um, at the building um, but the, it it just escalated into cars being set on fire, um, fires being set. So part of the hall itself being um, set alight, um, and uh, yes, it's infamously known as uh, as the as the Twinkie defense because that was something that happened with um, Dan White that. Part of his argument to why he did what he did was that he was he was high on Twinkies. Twinkies, for those who don't know, for outside of the US, are little cakes with cream in. I mean, um, so it became known as the Twinkie defense. Um, so then, when people were asked why they were writing, they said, well, "It's because we've eaten too many Twinkies." That's why. Um, it went on for several hours um, and riot police were called in and locals and the community felt still felt very aggrieved so it wasn't the end of this ongoing um, feeling of tension um, luckily the gay community in San Francisco I mean they did end up they had other things to think about which we're going to come to very shortly. Um, just as I'm talking to you, I just did a brief bit of research into, because I wanted to give it as a palace of pride, um, is the Castro Camera Store, which is now um, an, a human rights campaign store. Um, so you can actually go inside the store. Um, and I'm looking at pictures of inside the store at the moment, and you can buy 
things that will benefit uh, human rights campaigns across the world, uh, which is appropriate. I believe it probably was that when the last time I was there. Now I'm thinking back. Um, there was a point just after, I suppose it had just not been long after I finished filming, where it was still it was still empty. But I think actually it probably was this the last time I visited. Um, I have a, an older brain now. Um, but yes, um, I can recommend you go there. And it's literally on Castro. And it's just um, at the near the corner of uh, 19th and Castro. Um, and um, it's open 10 till 8. Uh, Monday to Saturday so um, definitely go and investigate that if you are to be visiting um, and check that into your palaces of pride and I've just checked there is a lovely thing there that still exists which I was uh, unsure whether it would have gone but there is um, you can see a painting uh, well it looks like a, it looks very realistic of Harvey peeking out of the window on the floor above and that still exists so he's very much present and still looking down on the Kestro and making sure everything's okay so that's quite comforting um next to it and it does still exist i had to check on this but is um is a shop called the hand job and it's for nails and spa treatments but only in the Castro you'd have a shop called hand job i love love it brilliant um so yes so that's harvey milk also, around the time that Harvey Milk was there um, was the time that it became known as uh, uh, Clone, I think it was called Clone Valley, um, but area, an area for men that were then known as clones. Clones were people who, for those of us under the age of 30, who haven't done their history, a clone would be considered somebody who would probably be wear could possibly be wearing... Um, tight denim or leather trousers uh possibly have a mustache um would wear would be possibly could have a beard um would be uh super groomed but um made to look extremely masculine and would probably wear very tight clothes um to accentuate um to accentuate muscles um, it's not that different to what happens now and uh, I think it was a, a Tom of Finland for anybody who wants to have a go and Google Tom of Finland it was that kind of image um, Tom of Finland was um, he was um, a Finnish artist who was known for um, his homoerotic fetish art which was basically very highly masculinized versions of gay men um there has been a film made about him as well but um if you just google tom finland the images that come up will be quite familiar i found them uh quite um empowering when i first came out i mean even though they are meant for they meant they are meant to make you feel sexualized i actually saw them as quite um uh positive and uh and strong um and fierce i suppose you'd say um there there was a point uh when this say so the point of harvey milk being there that the clones were it was a very popular image it remained a very popular image it still does um more than anywhere else i've been to 
um, they're still uh, the clones still exist, and I'm really glad they do. Um, and uh, I, I think it's I still think it's quite an attractive look, um, and also a, an important part of history. Um, and some of those men have gotten older, but still continue to look after themselves. So why not? Um, also, uh, there is a point where the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, um, we'll delve into them a bit, um, they were formed um, as an opposition to the clone look. So as it was kind of reaching its height, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, they dress, uh, they are an order of nuns. Now, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, um, are, have kind of come back into into the spotlight a little bit um, as one of their uh, well she's not one of the founders but she's been with the order for a long time and has been very prominent is um, Sister Roma and she uh, performs she's a performer as well and she performs a lot with um, actually with uh, Drag Race um, contestants and um, is is quite um, influential on a lot of um, drag performers um, and has garnered lots of um, a lot of people who really do praise her and what the sisters did and as I say they started as a as a fight back against the clone look um, and uh, they um started to grow in numbers and made appearances at the um the Halloween parade on Castro um and um and now and I mean as HIV and AIDS um ate away at the gay community they spent a lot of time they were at the forefront of um charity fundraising uh for research and assistance um so they and they remain to this day still very active in the community and um uh, by all intents and purposes are are a very healthy order of nuns if there was ever going to be an order of nuns to aspire to be part of it would be them um they have what they call houses and they have houses all over the world now in the UK in Canada Australia um Scotland um they're everywhere um and uh, they have wonderful names. Um, let's say Rome is one of them, but um, Sister Irma Geddon. Um, she's uh, part of the um, Portland, Oregon-based Order of Benevolent Bliss. It's um, th yeah. I'd say if you haven't discovered them, then do give them uh, a check out on Google. Um, and uh, they make an appearance in Tales of the City. Um, which is where I need to go next. That was the first time that I really became aware of them. Now, the reason I went to San Francisco in the first place, the reason I really wanted to go, um, I went with my friend Brendan, who had been studying at Berkeley, um, and uh, he was Irish, and uh, we knew each other in London. Um, but uh, he knew my love of the city and was going back to visit and suggested we go and spend a period of time there and we were there for a few weeks I was there for a long time and it was a really important uh, moment in my life and obviously I met my husband um, 
but Tales of the City is to blame for my love of the city. Um, Tales of the City started off um, uh, as uh, as instalments in the San Francisco Chronicle um, and the San Francisco Examiner, and uh, and then and then say then became and then published as books, um, and they are marvelous, marvelous, beautiful books. Um, I could gush forever. Um, I'm going to give you the I'm going to give you the titles just so they're all there for you to go and investigate. Um, Tales of the City is the first book, which was '78. More Tales of the City, Further Tales of the City, Baby Cakes, which has a section in London, which I loved. Significant Others, Sure of You, Michael Tolliver Lives, Marianne in Autumn, and The Days of Anna Madrigal. Um, and they are so well crafted the characters are beautiful and it's a love letter to San Francisco I'd say really as much as anything it feels like it um, and uh, I delved into the television series um, pretty quickly and the TV series I think I've talked about this before on the podcast but the TV series lives up to the books and the, the, the characters are pretty much as you imagine them to be um, uh, just some wonderful performances um, I won't go into <laughs> the people who played the characters but um, Marianne Singleton is kind of the uh, character that introduces us to um San Francisco um, and being a newbie in the city and it all being a little bit strange but her falling very quickly in love with the people in the place and um, the the apartment she has uh, at 28 Barbary Lane um, which I would say is another palace of pride it's a wooden staircase you can go to and if you know the television series the original TV series um it features heavily is the staircase up to 28 Barbary Lane to this magical place that um, is owned by the landlady Anna Madrigal um, and I don't want to give you any spoilers but she is a fantastic character who smokes a little bit too mar- much marijuana or maybe she doesn't smoke too much maybe she smokes just enough um, but she is uh, a wonderful character um, and is kind of head of the family um, and there are some interesting twists and turns and I actually can't really tell you very much because I want you to go and discover it if you haven't already if you have you know what I'm talking about but let me give you McCondry Lane is the name of the real place um McCondre or McCondre I'd say McCondre which is spelled M-A-C-O-N-D-R-A-Y Lane and that is where you'll find 28 Barbary Lane and the steps up to it um, and you can go up to the top. Um, people's houses are there, but it is kind of a little magical lane. Um, and uh, I would love to live there. Um, I say Armistead has always had a a very deep love for San Francisco. It sounds as though he's leaving the city and I think I've heard moving to the UK uh, for a while. Um, I believe that's what I'd heard anyway. Um, 
And uh, yes, uh, myself and Keith have had uh, encounters with him over the years. Um, not long after I met Keith, and Keith was graduating in Berkeley, um, Armistead spoke at his graduation, and uh, he got Armistead to sign a copy of Tales of the City for me, which was, uh, and then brought to me when he moved to be here for the rest of his life. Um, and uh, it's, uh, I, I hold it dear. Um, he also signed uh, another one of his books, The Night Listener. Uh, we went to uh, to Waterstones. Uh, it was a Waterstones that existed in, I think it's still there maybe, but anyway, in Earl's Court, which is the area that uh, of London that um, Baby Cakes uh, exists. Some, some, some of that timeline is in Earl's Court in the 80s. Um, also, uh, I just have a lot of admiration for him as a human being. Um, he uh, has always been open about his um, HIV status and uh, and is again you know is uh, has always been active in 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 social change um, and uh, is just generally a very clever and funny and lovable human being um, and as I say we met uh, that time in Earl's court and ever since then um, I've uh, I've had fond fond memories of that day and then uh, we did have a bit of a back and forth at one point online about uh, Christmas songs that we hated and he suggested one piece of music that I discovered I could then bear so I have a piece of Christmas music thanks to Armistead um, very influential uh, in my life and um, the way I live my life and just generally how to be a decent human being um, his other books, Maybe the Moon and The Night Listener, are also wonderful. Night Listener was turned into a film um, with Robin Williams. Uh, again, one to delve into. And some of the characters from Tales of the City kind of cross over into those. Um, but anyway, so go to 28 Barbary Lane, McCondry Lane. And then when you read the books and watch the TV show, you can discover all the other places for yourself. One of which is the Castro Theatre. Now, the Castro Theatre is is super iconic. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful building. It's got a Baroque design. Um, it was built in 1922. I've just checked that because <laughs> I thought it was probably 20s. Um, but yes, and there had been a cinema of the same name up the road, uh, but much smaller. But this is the, the one that we know and exists now and that has become very iconic and features in lots of films set in San Francisco, features in Tales of the City um, and uh, well is, is obviously also in Milk um, and it's um, it's marquee, it's sign, it's, it's neon sign um, that just says Castro is uh, sort of the sign, the landmark that welcomes you to the Castro when you arrive um, and it feels so familiar almost like the Golden Gate Bridge to me had the similar sort of effect of strong emotion just seeing it for the first time um, and um, I went to see a film there and I took my husband on one of our first dates we went to see a film and we still have the ticket stubs from that film attached to a picture of ourselves from 20 years ago <laughs> um, but a wonderful place and uh, before the films um, 
there is a, a mighty Wurlitzer, a giant Wurlitzer that appears, that comes up and um, somebody plays the Wurlitzer and it rises up from the depths um, and it's this grand organ sound. It's brilliant um, and uh, very evocative and very um, makes you feel gives you the feels um, so I can recommend if you're going there to try and see a film um, or a show it's also become really well known for um, having a lot of um, uh, world renowned drag queens performing there um, there is a, a drag queen based in San Francisco called Peaches Christ who again if you don't know and uh, you are interested in that world and you've never discovered Peaches Christ go online now um, have a lot of time for her um, very funny very clever um, has a deep love of film and cinema and horror um, and basically does parodies of films musical parodies of films on stage um, all around the world now um, we are going to see her doing a version of um, Death Becomes Her Drag Becomes Her uh, with Jinx Monsoon and Bendela Christ, Bendela Creme, the drag queens, two winners from RuPaul's Drag Race and Peaches Christ, which is going to be performing in London. Um, but uh, famously, has she performs at the Castro. These shows quite often start at the Castro because that's her home turf. Um, uh, Honey Mahogany is another drag queen from uh, San Francisco. And um, San Francisco has... Uh, quite a different drag scene and style to other parts of the US um, and is on the whole slightly more or alternative I'd suppose I'd say having the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence as an influence I'm sure helps um, but anyway yes um, I would say uh, another Palace of Pride is the Castro Cinema go and bathe in its awesomeness now, my final palaces of pride are places that are personal to me. Um, and a lot of them, of course, are bars. But I think that they're some of the best bars in the world that you can go to. Um, as Certainly as a gay man, and I'd say probably for the whole LGBT community. Um, so I um, have to give a shout out to these places. And they are definitely palaces to be proud in. Um... Uh, yes, so there is um, Moby Dick. Um, Moby Dick is a place that I return to uh, whenever I'm in San Francisco. Um, it's such a friendly, friendly, friendly place. Um, a lot of the bars in San Francisco are quite cruisy. Um, and uh, that's that's absolutely fine and dandy. Um, but this one is a good place if you just want to go um, and be with your partner or friends. Um, and yeah, it's it's just generally it's it's very old school, I would say. It's a place to get traditional beer and ale. Um, it is seriously a place to go and have a few a few beverages with friends and. I'd say it's probably the friendliest bar. Uh, well, it has been when I've been there. Um, people are very chatty and uh, it's a good place to go with your friends. I've been with uh, various 
versions of uh, the Brit crew over the years and it's always been a place that people feel quite comfortable in um, not always the most exciting but that's kind of quite good for me now um, the last time we were there it was a place that me and Keith went to and just went and had a few quiet drinks um, it's actually uh, just on the corner of the Castro and 18th Street um, Moby Dick a friendly friendly lovely place to go and another favourite of ours is the Midnight Sun um, which is just uh, around the corner um, and Midnight Sun is uh, a video bar as well um, and uh, it's a place where you can go and watch uh, comedy uh, like uh, you may see uh, the Gold well the Golden Girls has always been a fe feature there uh, whenever I've been in um, ab fab clips um, it's a place for uh, for watching together um, which isn't something that happens so much in London there isn't so many places you can go and uh, unifiedly sit and watch uh, gay and gay inspired comedy um, also music videos um, and it has 80s nights and styles uh, ded nights dedicated to certain styles um, it's again it's quite a fun place um, and probably is a bit more cruisy um, so you can go there with a bunch of friends and have a few drinks watching comedy and you might walk away with uh, somebody on your arm so to speak at the end of the evening if that's your uh, choice and proclivity then I would recommend Midnight Sun definitely definitely one of the palaces of pride um, then there is and at the top of the Castro and actually just onto Market Street really um, is the cafe and the cafe is uh, the first place I danced and I danced for hours and hours in in San Francisco um, and I Though I don't get to go out and dance very often anymore, I would love to go back and dance there again um, 20 years down the line. I have been back since, don't get me wrong, but um, I feel it's time to make my return. But anyway, um, big fondness for that. A couple of honorary mentions. I have to mention The Lookout, which is actually on Market Street, a bit further down, so it's not strictly Castro. It's a couple of blocks away, but it's... Yeah, it's a few minutes walk from the Castro. I consider it part of it. Um, it is uh, a big spacious bar that has a big balcony going around it. So on a beautiful sunny evening, you can sit and watch the world go by from above. Um, and again, I've had some great evenings there. And um, it's a good place to catch up with friends and see the world. Um, the other one I have to mention that is uh, honorary um, is Toad Hall, which is on Castro as well. And Toad Hall, just what a brilliant name for a bar. Um, and um, whenever I've been there, it's had quite a, a mixed clientele and uh, a fun place to be. So that's another one. And then Twin Peaks Tavern is probably again a very probably the most iconic and I'd say this is another palace of pride um, and has been there since Castro being uh, 
becoming really gay. It's kind of been prominent. And it's the first bar you meet as you head down the Castro before you get to the Castro Cinema on the corner. And it's a really nice place to sit and do something traditional and touristy, like have an Irish coffee, uh, which is a great place to do. So if you're in the day and you want just to have a small tipple and a bit of a coffee at the same time, it's a great place to get two people watch. Um, and probably aimed at a, in the evenings, aimed at a more, to an older crowd, um, also very welcoming to women. Um, and uh, yeah, so... I'd say Palace of Pride for everybody in San Francisco. Go to Twin Peaks Tavern, again featured in films, movies and television shows. Um, And I think that kind of sums up my San Francisco Palace of Pride trip down the Castro. There are many, many, many other places and across the city there are many other places um, that I would recommend. Of course, there is The Stud which is a bar which is uh, a little distance away from the Castro, but um, you can do in a cab. Um, That is uh, famous and infamous um, as uh, being uh, quite... We used to be quite a cruisy club. Um, I don't know if it would still be cruisy. I've heard that it's quite dance-orientated and uh, a lot of drag goes on there as well. But... um, but that featured in Tales of the City. And I'd say if you're going to go to San Francisco and do the circuit, so to speak, then that is definitely one for the list. Anyway, then go and see the Golden Gate Bridge. Then go to Twin Peaks, which is uh, the hill that overlooks the whole of the Castro and the Mission. And the views up there are fantastic of the whole city. Can only recommend that. But otherwise, go there. If you haven't, and if you have some money and you want, and you're planning to take a trip somewhere outside of home even if you're on the east coast of the US and you've never been I can recommend it but certainly for Europeans and and for the rest of the world and you are planning to have a trip to the west coast go to San Francisco uh, you'll fall in love um, definitely with the Castro um, and send it my love So that's all for part two of Palaces of Pride. Um, Part three is going to be a bit closer to home, somewhere in a city called London. And we might be a little bit more specific about my own Palaces of Pride. And I might even go there and talk to people in the Palaces of Pride. I think that's the plan anyway. Um, So thank you for joining me again. As I say, I will be back with Mark Healy. Um, I have some other guests lined up. Uh, promise, 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 interviews ready to come. Um, Just keep listening, keep subscribing and stick with me. Keep listening. Tell the world. Give me ratings. Give me as many ratings as you can. Tell people to rate me. Go and rate me right now. If you haven't, it's really easy. You just go onto the app if you're on iTunes and click the stars. Anyway, team, thank you so much. Big love and hugs to you all, wherever you are in the world. Keep listening. Take care. Cheers.